thought it was me, but I think no, it's, you. it's it was. Oh God, you know. And this is this is this is why uh, this is this is why we can't have nice things, Ben. Um, so I've just spent the last hour or 40, 40 minutes, let's say, um, trying to prepare a special super secret surprise. Um, no, but all I, I did was I hosed my audio. Um, so. <laughs> So anyway, so there's a, I was listening to a podcast, which is something that I do, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, by this guy, um, well, uh, the guest on the podcast, so it was the talk show podcast, and the guest was Paul Kafasis, and Paul works at a wonderful company called Rogue Amoeba that makes all sorts of really yes. cool audio stuff, right? Well, We know them. Yeah. Yes. So they, they just released uh, a new app, okay, um, called Farago. Which is a soundboard app, right? Which would let me do all sorts of wonderful things like, you know, like we could be like morning uh, drive time DJs, right? With gongs and craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but so, so I downloaded that app, but then you need this other app called Loopback. I think that's what it's called. Loop something. Loop. Loopback, yeah, and so you need to configure Loopback so that you can basically overlay the soundboard stuff on the recording. And I could not get it to work. Either I could get it, I could get it to listen to the soundboard, or I could get it to listen to me, or I could get it to listen to me and the soundboard. But then I had me in my ears twice with an echo. Right. Well, that's weird. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. And and then um, and so and so and then and then my everything was just all screwed up. Right. And so I exited. Both of the apps uh, exited Skype, re-entered Skype. It was still screwed up. Restarted my computer. It was still screwed up. What I had to do was to go into the Loopback app and then just delete the configuration. And so, because whatever that configuration was doing, it was, it was just, it was, yeah, I just couldn't get it to work. So anyway, it's just, uh, anyway, so the surprise is ruined. Um, So (laughs) no surprise, no surprises. I I don't tell yourself short. It was a surprise that you were working on, uh, on a soundboard. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I didn't know that was going to happen. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll 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 promote uh, we'll promote Rogue Amoeba, Rogue Amoeba and we'll promote uh, Loop uh, Loopback and and uh, Farago, um, but I couldn't get them to work. And and anyway, so it was fun, uh, but but it didn't it didn't work. So um, anyway, well, hey, my uh, my voice is I've kind of lost it. Oh no. Um, well, no, it's it's okay. Yeah, it sounds a little I, uh, sounds a little uh, like you got some uh, vocal fry there. <laughs> I do have some vocal fry. I was um, I, I was coaching hockey this weekend, and um, my uh, my older son had uh, had a, a tournament, and we played four games, and he won three of those games. Oh, nice! And yeah, and in games where we're close, and we have a chance at winning. Uh, I tend to yell more. I get, I get way more excited about, you know, my, my instructions from the bench. And so I've found that when we play games like that, it's, it's like three days after that, that I, um, get my voice back. So, uh, today it's, uh, it's a little horse. It's maybe, a little, maybe yeah. it's a pony. Um, it's <laughs> you, maybe you need a little, uh, little, uh, megaphone or something. I might Would need that a be allowed. I, oh, I thought you meant like on the podcast. Oh no, I meant for oh, coaching, like uh, for coaching. like right here. I'm yeah. just cupping my hands. No, for, I, for for coaching, you know, just so you don't have to yell. That's a great idea. I would I, love. That's yeah, probably I, illegal. I'm sure it is. Um, I 
uh, people bring really interesting things to hockey games, uh, to cheer on their, you know, their kids or the, you know, the, whatever, um, you know, they're the people that they want to watch and they want them to, to win. So, um, at this, uh, particular hockey tournament, I saw, um, uh, cowbell, um, and uh, cowbell. Oh, I mean, it's a, it's a classic, uh, hockey cheering device. Um, I also saw a, uh, Vuvuzela. Do you remember, do you remember a Vuvuzela? You know what that I is? I do. Uh, yes. From the, oh, I, I was introduced to the Vuvuzela, uh, during, uh, the world cup of soccer that happened in South Africa, um, six years ago or so. And it, and it just sounds like this, which is really odd. Um, but yeah, I saw one of those and then I saw these, like clapping things that people were, were using that are like clap sticks. I think they're just inflatable, like, um, plastic inflatable bats that they, that people bang them together. See um, now, this would be a great time for if we had a uh, uh, audio soundboard. I oh, could, you I, could all I could, of I could, I could. Well, no, it's limited, right? Uh, I could have done uh, Foghorn. Um, uh, it doesn't have Vuvuzela or or Cowbell, but you could, but you could go out and, and find audio samples of other things. Like cause those are just the built-in ones. You could go out and find uh, other audio things and drop them into the soundboard. If only I could get the soundboard to work. If only. Um, Don, good try though. I mean, I, yeah, I did my best. I, I you, I, not only did you do your best, you, you did something I, I have prepared, um, outside of reading the things that we have in our, in our notes. Uh-huh. Um, it's all, it's all, that's all the work I've put into the podcast. Uh, I just, I just read that stuff. And then, then, but I've, I've not thought about like, how can we make this show better? <laughs> and, <laughs> And you, you went out, you like, you heard something, you're like, Hey, that might make the show better. I don't know about better, but anyway, uh, um, so, uh, unless, uh, unless came with you to, uh, to campus today, um, not to, not to opsec everything, but, uh, you know, people can, can figure it out. Right. I'm in my office, uh, on, uh, on campus and I am back to, so for the last, oh, six weeks, maybe longer, eight weeks, my office has, has served not only as a place where I attempt to do, um, to do work and meet with people, but it has also been a storage unit, uh, for these, um, uh, equipment that we were using in, uh, an observation study. And so, uh, talked a little bit about this in previous episodes, but for a while we were going to various kitchens in around the, uh, Raleigh area and, uh, would take, um, a, with us, uh, a, the types of things that would be found in a home kitchen. And we were asking people to, to prepare food and then we would watch what they would do, um, in a not so creepy way. Um, and so, uh, I, I, we are, we are building, um, our, our own kitchens, uh, here in my building. Um, and so uh, my normal, um, storage space has now been vacated because, uh, construction is starting. And so, uh, I, but for six weeks I had these boxes and boxes and it was just closing in. I'm not a claustrophobic kind of person, but I was avoiding my, my office. And, uh, yesterday we moved everything out and now I have all this, uh, this extra space. So this is the first podcast I've done from my, uh, I think from my actual on campus office in, in the last three or four episodes, like probably since before Christmas. Um, so, so um, is your, is your office full of stuff? 
It's not now. It, it oh, was but it was. Really. Okay. Yeah. Up until yesterday, it was, it was full of stuff like, and, and by, I mean, full of stuff. I, I there was probably, um, I'm not very good like with spatial awareness, but I, there were 12 to 18 large rubber raid bins, um, that were stacked up against two walls in my office. Wow. Um, and now they're in a storage unit, uh, cause we don't need them. But it, it took a while for for me to kind of realize it's important that I move this stuff out of here. I can't I can't I can't operate this way uh, any longer. So sure, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm here. I'm on campus. It's a lovely day. Um, I, I made myself a coffee. Uh, I, I broke out the AeroPress. I've not been using my AeroPress as much lately as I as I was say a year ago. But today I broke out my AeroPress with some wonderful um, counterculture coffee beans. Um, cooked up my water to, um, 175, got my digital thermometer out, hit it, uh, hit it up, poured it in, um, and, uh, went to put my AeroPress on a new mug and I'm going to send you a picture of this mug cause you're going to okay. love it. Okay. Um, and it is a lovely, um, just like very, very cool mug that, um, I, I found one day in my office and, um, it had a, uh, a little card, um, that was, uh, associated with it. And I will read from the card. Um, and for those who can't see this, it'll, maybe we'll link to something like this in show notes, but it is a poop emoji mug. Oh, and, yes. I don't know if you can tell that from the picture that I sent you. Um, but it, the message said, thanks for not being a crappy advisor. Uh-huh. Heart your grad students. Oh, that's uh, nice. It was, it was, yeah, it was really, really awesome and, and nice. And this is the first time that I have uh, um, used the mug or attempted to, to use the mug. And I say attempted, it's because I found something out. My AeroPress is too large for the mug. So I've made my coffee in a in a different mug, and I have now poured it into the poop emoji because I'm drinking from the poop emoji mug. Right, right. That's that's complicated. Um, yeah, you know my um, I uh, my default home mugs uh, fit my AeroPress perfectly. Uh, I don't. I have. I think we have an AeroPress at work uh, that I bought for the lab, but but I don't usually use it because at at work I'm either buying coffee or or drinking tea. Um, but. But yeah, I've recently changed uh, my coffee making um, system too. I used to heat water and then and then heat milk and then combine them. And now uh, I heat the water and then you know make the coffee and then um, add half and half instead of milk and then and then just micro put the half and half cold into the cup and then just hit it in the microwave for like 20 seconds to bring it back up to temperature and that that seems to result in a good kind of what i'm looking like for coffee wise like a milkshake you're looking for a coffee flavor uh, hot well milkshake. it's yeah i know i'm looking for an espresso with uh, cream that's what i'm looking um, for well that's that's true now are you in your coffee, what's your ratio? Are you looking at like half, half and half? And oh like gosh, qu- no. Which would be a quarter yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and half and half espresso and coffee or, or it's just a little bit, just I, a little bit. Well, of- it's gets the, it's a, it's a color. It's gets it to the right color. So I would say it's a, it's a, so I know because I measure the water out, it's a hundred mLs of water. Okay. Um, and it's two scoops of, uh, of coffee. 
um, 100 mLs of water, and like a couple glugs of half and half. So it's a pretty it's a pretty creamy mixture. I do I do like the I like the fat content of the half and half, and it, it kind of helps to blunt the acidity and it gives it a nice creamy flavor. But I wouldn't quite call it a milkshake. So I would say I don't know if I had to guess, I would say maybe it's a third half and half. <laughs> So, so a six, a quarter, a quarter to a six, a quarter, a quarter to a third, <laughs> half and half. I think you have to. Mul- I think you have to invert and multiply with fractions like that, don't you? Is that is it? What's <laughs> is it? Is that an imaginary number that you have to put into that? Is that I, like a, I don't, a square, I don't, it's square not like pi? No, it's not like pi or 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 uh, the uh, e. I could go for some pi, like like some actual pi. We should. We had we had an episode that, that had pi in the name recently. I, I shared did, it on uh, the social media. That's right. I, I mean, I love, I love some pie. I'm a, I, uh, now, I'm, now I'm thinking about pie. I, uh, <laughs> that's it. Episode's over. I need some pie. Um, so I, my, uh, my hockey season for kids is, is over. Uh, essentially we have, we have one more, um, date. Uh, my older son is, is done and my younger son has a, a tournament in two weeks and, um, I don't like Don, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with myself other than maybe cook more and make more pie. Uh, cause, uh, we, I mentioned this a, a while ago. We, we spent a lot of time on this and now I'm, I'm like, I I'm getting nostalgic for the, for the season that has almost ended and I'm already missing it. Um, I, so, I would, I would um, be, I would think you'd be happy to have all that time back to do other stuff, but that's just me. I, I don't know what other stuff, like, and this is gonna, I don't even know what other stuff I want to do. I like I like the I either like doing hockey or food safety or nothing. And so if the hockey goes, then I'm either filling it with food safety or nothing. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, I like to walk. There you um, go. I, I, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll walk more. I like to cook. But yeah, yeah so. cooking that would be uh, good. Cooking be good. Um, so I, I have no, I mean, I, I have no real updates on what I'm watching, except of course for the Olympics. Yes. Um, and I think in our, our last recording, it was right before the Olympics were starting. And now we are 10 days into this and I'm, I'm in, all we're doing is watching, watching Olympics. And, uh, uh, this morning, um, Team Canada played a uh, Team Canada hockey, ice, men's ice hockey, uh, played a quarterfinal game against Finland at, at 7 a.m. our time, and I watched zero of it because I uh, taught a workshop from eight until ten this morning, uh, and j- had to drive here and get prepared for it. So I missed out on uh, on this game, but we won one nothing. So I, I was uh, giving my participants real time updates, but I, I know I know you guys are. You're all over the Olympics. So what are you, what, what have you been what have you been watching? Well, yeah. So so first of all, I should report that the uh, the the dog across the street is going for a walk, um, which has my my dog's very excited. You can hear, hear Bianca in the background there. Um, uh, well, my plan to watch the Patriot while Kristen watched the to watch Patriot <laughs> while yes. Kristen watched the Olympics has <laughs> has failed miserably. So that has not happened. Um, uh, yeah. So we uh, so we've been watching uh, biathlon. Uh, downhill, um, downhill skiing, ski, downhill ski jumping, uh, figure skating. Um, and I think that's about it. So no, no hockey, um, uh, no, none of those, uh, fake, 
uh, fake sports uh, like snowboard or or the ski jumping where you get <sighs> scored for like you know going over moguls because according to uh, my lovely wife those are not real sports so I, that's it's fine. It's I fine. think those are very much real sports. Well, I, you can have that argument with her. I'm not going to have that. I'm just like yeah. I'm just going to sit on the couch and look at Twitter and try not to despair. Um, you know, for the future of the country and uh, <laughs> and have a glass of wine and and maybe occasionally try to do some work. But uh, yeah, so. Get on the Twitter. Yep. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I, um, I, I, I've been captivated by all the fake sports, all the real sports and the fake sports. We, we are, we have a system in our, in our house where, um, we, we watch, uh, the CBC feed of the Olympics, um, that was, uh, slightly, slightly revealed on, on Facebook by, uh, a uh, listener in front of the podcast who I won't name, but we, we have a, we use a VPN, uh, system and then watch the uh, team, you know, the Canadian feed, which is a really a great, like representative, you know, not just all stories of Canadians, but, but they're like focus on other, other countries as well. And I, I do find, and this is uh, something that's been brought up on, on the internets, um, that the NBC specific feed, not the Olympics channel or NBC sports, but you know, the, the prime time NBC feed is very much like what are the Americans up to right now? And I get that cause I live in America and it is, as you pointed out on, on the, the Facebook, <laughs> on the Twitter, it is the national broadcasting it, corporation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not the uh, World Broadcasting Corporation, no, you know. That's WC. I, we don't even get that channel. <laughs> yeah. So we get we're watching our Olympics on two channels, and um, it's not a whatever. And again, it's like I said, you know, uh, uh, Kristen basically navigates it, and so it's pretty. I, I just keep hearing how Norway, uh, which is a country of five million people, which is less than the population of the state of New Jersey, is kicking butt um, in these Winter Olympics. Which, which it's yeah, that's exciting. I, I'm I'm happy for the Norwegians. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to me to be overly U.S. centric, but again, probably that's because um, of the way you know uh, we're watching it, which which is with Kristen basically, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, you know, curating, curating what Curate, we're watching. Yeah. yeah. So I need a curator. That's good. That yeah. Although, although uh, you know, I pointed out, I, I would like to mix in if I could have it curated. I would like to mix in some of these uh, aerial ski jumps and half pipe and and stuff like that. Um, did you? So I know you're not watching the the fake sports, but did you see this kind of cool story about um, a U.S. born um, skier who uh, it, it made the team Hungary, uh, um, Olympic team for half pipe skiing by really kind of gaming the system. Um, and does, does not do sort of the big, the big tricks. Uh, but she, uh, one, you know, one of the ways that you make the Olympics in that event is you have to go to so many world cup events and, and, and you have to finish at least in the top 24, in one of those and then gain so many points and you gain points by finishing a run. And so she, uh, I think she came like 22nd in a world cup event. Um, and then went to a bunch of others and then finished and then just went in kind of like as a fan, but, but also as an Olympic athlete. 
Yeah, I, well, I, I had not followed that story, but there's been a similar story in figure skating. Uh, there's a woman who competes for Brazil, uh, who is an American citizen, uh, but she probably has dual citizenship because her mother's from Brazil, and she lives and trains in New Jersey, but she competes for Brazil because guess what? Um, uh, there's a lot of talent on the U.S. figure skating team, and, and she's going to have a hard time making that team, but Brazilian team, uh, not so much. So, um, yeah, good for her. I mean, hey, yeah. whatever, whatever you got to do to get there as long as it's not cheating or doping, um, uh, you know, it's fine. Even in curling. I, I you know, I gotta, I've got to think that, that then there's a, there's something going on behind that. I can't, I can't believe it. He would be that stupid. And he's basically the, the athlete has come out and said, you know, I, I, that I wouldn't be that stupid. I want a full investigation. You yeah. know, uh, it's just something that doesn't, something doesn't add up. Something smells fishy there. Uh, it's yeah. So there's, it's, I think you're thinking of ice fishing. Like it's, <laughs> yes. it's a different, it's a different sport. Different sport. Uh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, the Olympics have been, have been excellent. Uh, I love, Every year, uh, or every four years, or every, I guess every two years. Two I'm years, reminded, yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded by how um, how much I I, you know, I just enjoy watching sport in in the background or as a focus for for a few hours. And even though I don't know, I mean, I watch some sports, and figure skating is is one of them where I understand that there is a technical element, and I understand that there is a how well they implemented that technical element. And you know, you know, and then there's a style aspect, and I, I can't. I mean, I'm just in awe of the things that people do on skates, being just a lowly hockey player. That I, I can't sort of say, oh, that was a fantastic triple sow cow, um, or or that was a, a quad axle or whatever, whatever it is <laughs> that were that were quad triple latte, yes, quad, quad triple latte at a 165 unicorn, um, <laughs> and but I, but I. There's something about the competition that's captivating. Like, I don't know how it works, but I love that, oh, they're going to flash up some numbers and this person's either going to not, you know, they're going to be really excited that they moved ahead of someone or not, or be very disappointed. There's, there's drama that I, that I enjoy for these, um, for these two weeks. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, the other reason why I tune in is just to see what Johnny Weir is wearing, um, yes. which, which seems to be a popular topic, uh, for posting on social media. So, uh, Don, Don Cowder and I are, are bonding over, over our, uh, uh, admiration for, for Johnny Weir. Uh, absolutely. I, I have a Johnny Weir story and a Tara Lipinski story. Go for it. Um, so I, um, and, and there's, there's, there's a, there's a food safety hook here. Uh, you and I, uh, this weekend are both traveling to, um, uh, Sandy, Las Vegas, dusty Las Vegas, I guess it's known as, uh, for the, um, uh, American frozen food Institute, the AFI con, uh, to participate in their scientific advisory group. If, if you're, if you're traveling this weekend, um, I think next you might weekend. be by next yourself. Weekend. Okay. Wrong. Next weekend. Next okay. weekend. Yeah. Sorry. I, dates are irrelevant at this point on. Okay. I just want to um, make sure that you're going the, the, the correct t- uh, time. It's true. We were traveling on a weekend. Yes. But uh, just not this coming weekend. Not this coming weekend. You're right. right. You're right. Um, and one, one year, uh, a few years ago, it was held in, uh, Anaheim, the same meeting. And I went to it and I happened to be there, um, because of the traveling to the West coast. I, I usually try to fly in and fly out and, and, you know, be in these things, uh, for, for a day, but I couldn't make that happen and I couldn't get a flight back. So I stayed an extra night and the meeting was in the morning and in the afternoon I went 
to see a TV show taped by myself. I went to see Chelsea Lately, which is at the time a, a show that I was I enjoyed. I was watching is uh, on I think Bravo Network, and and Chelsea Handler has since moved to Netflix. But the guests that day were Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski as they were preparing to go to the Sochi Olympics or just returning from the Sochi Olympics. Um, and so it was cool. I was in the studio audience with like 40 other people and, um, you know, got to shake hands with, with them, uh, uh, afterwards. And they were, they were fantastic guests and it was, it was really cool. And it was the first time I'd seen, you know, I'd been on, um, TV, uh, doing interviews, but it was the first time I'd seen like the magic of the talk show. Mm-hmm. And how that all works, mm-hmm. and it was yeah, it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the Johnny Weir was uh, equally as hilarious and and dressed uh, equally as fashionably uh, when I saw him in person. How about that? Oh, <sighs> there's my uh, I'm drinking out of my poop emoji mug. Cool, I could tell. Uh, I could tell it sounded like a poop emoji mug. <laughs> it was yeah, it was poop. It was uh, poop poopy uh, emoji. Um, so we've got some listener feedback. And, um, I want to, I want to move into, to listener feedback and I want, I want to, um, start with, uh, some, uh, someone who we, who we both know who in fact, um, after this, uh, uh, message was sent to us, I think you went and, and physically in, uh, met, met him. Yes. And he had, uh, had dinner or a drink or both. Yes. Uh, um, so let me, let me read. And I think, I mean, I think he's fine for us to read his name on the air. Is that, is that correct? Um, is a, maybe not. Well, I don't know. We, I, you know, I feel like we should call him, we should come up with a nickname for him just anyway. Um, you know, like, like as I've titled the message, deep cookie, <laughs> deep cookie, deep cookie it is. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, former, former graduate student who worked on hand washing in my lab, um, uh, uh, deep cookie, <laughs> deep cookie, deep cookie. Uh, deep, you know who, what else I've, I've spoken with him in person myself. I would also say deep voice. Uh, <laughs> hi, Ben. Hi, Don. Hi, Ben Don. Long time listener. First time ranter. He sent us a link to a, uh, an article that was in the New York times. Um, and, uh, I had it up and then I went to look at a skier. Uh, <laughs> the article is entitled, are hand dryers actually full of bacteria? Question mark. A viral photo doesn't tell the whole story. Um, so, uh, deep cookie writes, I didn't realize people were so extreme with their views on hand dryers. The poor woman in the article received death <laughs> threats, normal internet trolling, or did the image of the Petri dish shatter people's rosy color perception of the reality of bathrooms just a little too much? Dyson's response, and I'll get to the original article in a minute, mm-hmm. uh, but Dyson's response is underwhelming. Quote, very surprised to see these results and unclear on methodology employed. Um, and so the uh, the article that, that Deep Cookie is referring to um, was – or it was – spurred by a, um, this viral, um, picture of, uh, that was, um, uh, put out there by a, um, uh, a microbiology, um, uh, professor, um, or not by, sorry, by, it was put out there by an individual who's in a microbiology class. And so from the article, the assignment from Nicole Ward's microbiology professor was simple. Choose a location, open a Petri dish for three minutes, and observe what grew over the next two days. 
No one's sample came back clean, a foregone conclusion given that the Petri dish open in any non-sterile room will collect microbes from the air. But when Ms. Ward returned to class with a dish that she had put in an enclosed Dyson hand dryer in a woman's restroom, the colonies of fungi and bacteria had grown and it outstripped anything her classmates had found in their chosen locations. Quote, mine just had so much more mass than the fungal growth, she said in a phone interview on Thursday. Their little colonies were just a speck here and a speck there. It just stood out by far. Um, and so there was some response uh, to this by uh, Dyson, the folks that make the um, air, the Airblade and, and other uh, Dyson hand, uh, hand dryers. Quote, as I said, very surprised to see these results and unclear in the methodology employed. Um, Deep Cookie writes, the method seemed clear to me. A petri dish was exposed to the air around a hand dryer, hair dryer, hand dryer, then allowed to sit at room temperature for two days. I'm assuming plate count agar. So PCA exposed for three minutes, then allowed to incubate at 23 degrees for two days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think he's uh, he's nailed it. Pretty close, pretty clear, pretty yeah, clear. Right. Uh, um, and so he, he then goes and writes, maybe I'm being hard on Dyson. Maybe the students didn't use PCA. Maybe they use um, hectoan he 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 enteric agar and incubated the plate in a dorm room that had a, uh, an over-enthusiastic heater. So 27C. Also, I'll admit that the students don't have access to the nice temperature-controlled HEPA filters that Dyson tests its devices in or filtered labs that Dyson tested its devices in. They were forced, forced to use an environment that represents the dirty, humid, bacteria-fungus-laden environment that is a public restroom. Or maybe Dyson's too afraid to admit that a simple microbiology, microbiology lab exercise can show ineffective their hand dryers are in the real world. Um, he then goes on to write, say, I have to challenge Dr. Gerba's statement that uh, from, the, um, uh, from the article and... Um, the statement is, quote, uh, the, the hot air will kill the bacteria on the hands, but some studies have found they will also deposit bacteria in the restroom on your hands, i.e. from the hair, said Dr. Charles Gerba, microbiologist at University of Arizona. So um, Deep Cookie writes, I have to challenge Dr. Gerba's statement that hot air will kill the bacteria on the hands. If the temperature of water um, doesn't make a difference uh, in linking to uh, some work that, that you published. Um, how would, and that uh, the deep cookie was part of, how would the temperature of air matter? All right, I'll concede a point. Maybe if air was hot enough, I mean really hot, like really, really hot, it could activate the bacteria on the skin along with the skin too. Um and uh, the, uh, Deep Cookie continues to write, I agree that literature on hand washing has too much influence from big paper towel and big hair air dryer. So we need to get a more uh, we need to get more independent researches on this. If only there was some lab not scared of big paper towel and big air dryer, maybe a dynamic duo of idealistic, handsome youth and grizzled food safety veteran. Uh, and a grizzled uh, uh, food safety veteran teaming up with an unlikely ally who also has some skin in the game, say Big Soap, to set the record straight. Sadly, one can only dream. Um, anyway, he says, more important question to have. Do you think the guy in the photo, and we will link to this, um, wanted to have his photo taken? Maybe it was staged and he's an actor. Or do you think the photographer caught him, quote, post-business? How many people did the photographer have to awkwardly ask? <laughs> I like the super hygienic move of keeping his bag between his legs right below the hand dryer instead of on the nasty floor right below the hand dryer. How do you guys manage your bag during hand washing? Question. 
<laughs> Best lead up uh, to a question ever. Um, great job, D Cookie. Yeah, I, I try to I try to keep them on my you know my bag over my shoulder. Um, but but yeah, I mean sometimes I'll set it on the ground and it's like you know whatever. I mean it's uh, my, my big problem with the whole thing is I really think that the um, the, the sp- experiment <clears throat> and I'll use you know uh, uh, Richard Fingers the experiment done uh, by this person was not a properly controlled for experiment. I mean, yeah, so you you exposed this plate in this bathroom for this amount of time. Well, what about a similar bathroom? In in an uh, without that kind of hair dryer, a hand dryer, or what about further away from the hand dryer? Right. I mean, it's so you really. I mean, so what this shows is that microorganisms, especially molds, can be present in the air. Well, we knew that already, right? I mean, and I I can understand why it went viral, um, but it's really it's really pretty. It's the whole thing's really pretty silly, and 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 I think. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, whatever. What Dyson's going to say, what they're going to say. I, I think, I think Chuck Gerba was not quite with yeah. it that particular day. I don't, I don't think maybe he was misquoted, but you know, it's clearly hot air is not going to do anything. Um, because by the time you get the air hot enough to actually do something, it's going to, it's going to scald your hands. Same as water. In fact, you can get, you can scald more easily with water because it's, it's a wet heat rather than a dry heat. So yeah, I, I mean, the whole thing is just really preposterous and silly, but you know, it got a lot of attention. Um, and the other, the good news is that there is a paper coming out in AEM applied in environmental microbiology, uh, fairly soon where um, they actually did a really nice job um, studying uh, bacterial transfer in a building with uh, hot air dryers. And so um, look for that to come out soon. I don't think it's been uh, published yet, uh, but, you know, it is, uh, it should be coming out fairly soon. And it's done by a reputable lab and it was peer reviewed and et cetera, et cetera. So look for that. Well, good. I I will. I want to jump off of this into, um, well, first I'm going to answer Deep Cookie's question. I am a uh, bag between the legs kind of guy. Huh. Um, and, uh, me, mainly because I, it's got nothing to do with pathogen stuff. I just find that so like tile bathrooms like this, it's always like moist, like it's mm. always humid in there somewhere. And I just don't want a wet bag. So I'm like, I'll just put it in my, in, in between my legs. I also don't use hand air dryers. And this is where I wanted to jump from or jump to is, at CFP Conference for Food Protection in the past, a couple of times, um, this concept of air dryers has come up because air dryers are um, a, a code-compliant hand-drying um, mechanism using a, a, a forced air dryer. And um, I, I'm less worried about the depositing side of stuff and fungus on hands. I'm more worried about some of the some of the stuff that that we've seen um, and published that, that that you guys have uh, have worked on when it comes to hand washing and just the friction aspect of drying and depositing those transient pathogens into a, a one use towel. And so. Um, I didn't get my act together on it for this year's CFP, but I did have a, a question from a colleague who, who sat on uh, Council 3 with me last year about, or two years ago, um, about putting together an issue to to really um, push to remove forced air dryers from, uh, from re- restrooms, from, sorry, not restrooms, from food handler um, uh, hand washing systems. And so taking them out of a restroom 
where uh, the public can use them. I, I still don't like them because we remove that friction, but it's different than if it's the only place that an employee can wash their hands. Um, I, I would rather them not using the, the forced air hand dryer and, and requiring them to, um, to use the one-use paper towels. Um, and, and so, hope, I mean, hopefully, um, I, you know, next round, uh, a couple of years from now, uh, we can, we can get that, um, get that in there. But what are your, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? On whether they should be prohibited? Yeah. Or, and I prohibited is not, I maybe not the right word, I guess that they would not qualify as being part of a complete hand wash step for a food handler. I I could live with that. Um, I, you know, I um, <clears throat> I think the 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 research on this is uh, ambiguous. Um, yeah. I tend to believe that they are not terribly effective um, based on my own personal experience. Um, we know that paper towels do have an effect if you really load up people's hands and then you have them wash their hands and then dry their hands with a paper towel. Again, uh, some of the same research, uh, part of Deep Cookie's PhD research in my lab. Um, uh, he showed that you could get transfer to paper towels. And so you're getting, which is you know bad news from the point of view of the paper towels are contaminated, but it's good news because it means that the bacteria on the paper towels, they're not on somebody's hands. And so you get an additional benefit from doing that. Uh, whereas if you allow people's hands to just simply dry in the air, um, you're not getting that benefit of physical removal. So, I mean, so, so I think the science supports that paper towels are a better choice. Um, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm very skeptical. I mean, I love the conference for food protection and I think the food code is a, is a tremendous document, but I'm, I just don't know. I've just, I've seen so many times science not win the day, uh, at, yeah. the, at the end of the day that I just don't know. I mean, who's going to, who's going to fight for that, right? Who's going to fight for the removal of, uh, hot air dryers, right? Well, it's certainly not going to be the dryer, ma- the hot air hand dryer manufacturers. Um, maybe paper towel manufacturers are going to fight for that, but then again, they're they're biased in favor of their product. Uh, I just, I I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, I what do I prefer to not use paper towel to not use a hot air hand dryers? Absolutely. Given a choice, I will choose paper towels every single time. Um, but. I don't know. I mean, I'm, maybe I, maybe I'm just in a particularly cynical frame of mind today. Um, but oh, I, but that's my that's my reaction. I like your uh, yeah. I mean, that I, I'm I'm with you, and, and you're right. I think there are practicality issues. I think that the food service industry and the grocery industry would also have issues with it because um, by making it part of a complete hand washing step to not use those air dryers means you've got to provide paper towels to um, food handlers and it just I mean there are lots of there are lots of systems um, it, it, lots of restaurants lots of food food service sites that only have one one, one restroom for both employees and for um, the the public so it's not like you can you know what what you what you do is going to affect everybody. You know, the potential for cost for paper towels goes up. I mean, there's lots of things. I, I mean, I, I get all the, um, the issues, uh, around it, but, but I'm, uh, you, you have 
you you have inspired me um, over uh, the last few years to continue to push um, for the science science based risk management decision making in um, you know in the in in our regulatory guidance documents or model codes and um, I had like uh, there there is a slight I guess win in this in this process from the last time I was around where um, or la- last time we um, we conducted um, or la- the conference for protection went on where um, as a part of the Noracore project we put together an amendment to the 2013 food code. Um, and, uh, that amendment, um, made it into the 2017 code. And the issue was essentially, uh, people should be like restaurants should be able to plan for a vomit cleanup event, not like just have all the stuff on hand, but to actually have a written procedure that, that, a that, a environmental health specialist can then review as part of an inspection, not unlike an environmental health or an employee health policy. And, and so having a, there are limitations to all this stuff, right? Like removing air dryers or at least making paper towels or one use only towels as part of the system. It doesn't, doesn't ensure compliance, but, but it's a step in the, in the right direction, just like having these written procedures, um, for vomit cleanup. And then, um, it, it, you know, it, addressing exactly what employees are responsible to do and being able to train people on that, I think is a step in the right, in the right direction. Uh, yeah, well, and that's, not, yeah, is another well, thing. well, right. But, but, and I absolutely, and I think that's a little bit more clear cut, right? Because you're not, the choice is between not having, um, a vomit procedure and having a vomit procedure, right? And I think everybody would agree that based on what we know about norovirus, having a vomit procedure is a good idea versus the, the hand dryer. It's like, well, the choice is between hot air or paper towels. So, um, you know, so it's it's a little bit easier to, to see the, the clear benefit. But yeah, I mean, and there, there definitely are success stories at CFP. And I think that without a doubt is one. Um, getting to where people actually have the procedure and then use it is a different step. But but right. a different thing. But it, again, it's a, it's a way to start, right? What we we do we all agree that have that that vomit represents a a, a risk? Yes. Uh, should everybody have a procedure? Yes. Okay. And then let me sort of head down that road, right? Of, of like managing that risk by you know, making incremental improvements. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that we've got a process to have now. You know, it it doesn't say anything about whether that plan or those written guidelines are are correct or incorrect or complete or good or bad, whatever want to value, you know, um, value want to assign to it, but let's just have something there. Right. And, and I, and I, and I, I, you know, it is, you know, um, I, I, I got less cynical when I think like this is going to mean, um, it's going to cost people something, right? Like someone's going to have to write these, these operating procedures and, I, you know, when when someone when a state implements the 2017 code, um, if an environmental health inspector goes in and, and finds that they don't have those written procedures, um, if they look for that during their inspection, that that is going to cost somebody a, a point or what or a grade or whatever on their non-compliance. And so, um, it's not without um, it's not without consequence, uh, right? And, and, and yeah, so so I'm yeah I was. It's it's cool to be to be part of the the actual sausage making on this one about non sausage foods. 
<laughs> or got some Kubi sausages too. Well, it's been, <laughs> Just this reminds me of an anecdote from from this weekend, um, uh, which is so we have a routine that we go on Sunday. We usually go for Indian food, and there's there's two Indian restaurants in in downtown Freehold that we go to. There's a third restaurant that we just haven't been to yet, um, so it's not part of our regular routine. I don't know if they have a buffet, but these two particular ones have a buffet, and so we were going to the the one that we refer to as the new Indian restaurant because it hasn't been there as long as the the one that we refer to as the old Indian restaurant. Um, and uh, when we were checking out the guy's like oh please leave us a review on social media and i'm like yeah sure of course and then we, we get outside and and Kristen turns to me and she says um d- did you notice that the their inspection certificate said conditionally satisfactory <laughs> and does that concern you and i'm like i did not notice that and it might concern me right but again we're back to which is you know the discussion we and what made me think of it is your your comment about you know taking one point off for not having a vomit cleanup plan you know, conditionally satisfactory is not as good as satisfactory, but I would want to know, like, what did they fail, right? And, I, of course, I didn't notice the certificate, but even if I had, the nature of the certificates that get posted in New Jersey are such that there is no detail, right? It's not it's not like in some states where you actually can see the, the actual inspection form and you can see what they got points taken off for. So, anyway, I just wanted to complain about that briefly. No, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, it's an area that... That I have lots of interest in as, as well. Um, and your, your anecdote sort of exemplifies it. It's like, I want people to have access to that stuff. I want to know um, if someone want, you know, wants to know how someone did. But what we really don't have a good handle on is how does that impact someone's choice, right? Like actual impact in someone's choice. If you told somebody in a survey, you know, here are 45 scores. Which of these restaurants are you most likely to eat at? I might guess it would shake out as the places that have better scores. People would be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to eat there uh, more because I'm worried about it or whatever. But when it comes down to like actual life, um, I, I don't know how much it really impacts um, those choices. Right. And we'll, we will once again, as we, we do on our very regular basis, we will link to uh, Petran, White, and Hedberg <laughs> from Journal uh, Food Protection 2012 because uh, this is how uh, this. This is how I want uh, my decisions to be made about where to eat. I want uh, I want to uh, uh, I want to know which health department criteria inspection criteria are more likely to be associated with restaurant outbreaks uh, in Minnesota or New Jersey or anywhere else for that matter. Exactly, and let's let's just go ahead and and say that if there was a companion reader to Food Safety Talk, like the canonical articles, papers, and reports that this, the Petran paper would be, would be in that list. Like it's, it's in the read along at home. Absolutely. Go read, go read that paper. Go read that paper again. If you haven't read it, read it. If you've read it, read it again. (laughs) And read it not just because it's for the, the results, um, but go read it because it was just a well, well well-constructed study. Yes. it's It's a nice piece of work. Yeah. Um, I've got a I've got a great little bit of feedback here, uh, Don. This uh, this one. Uh, so since we since in our last episode, sort of asked people to name themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like I like how this is how this is going. Um, so we received an email from a name of Sir Bluebert Blob Bluebert Bellows <laughs> Esquire. Um, and, uh, the, uh, um, message is something I would love to know involves Kenny Loggins, YouTube goofy hosts and top gun. But beyond that anonymous anecdotes about food safety conferences in general are also fair game. So the question is this, how often does the song highway to the danger zone come up as a joke? 
Um, and for those of you who don't know, Highway to the Danger Zone uh, was a uh, – I believe the song is just Danger Zone mm. by Kenny Law. Yes. Uh, the chorus is Highway to the Danger Zone. Uh, or I'm on a highway to the danger zone. Um, and it was featured in you know, one, of, uh, one of the most uh, seminal movies of the 1980s, Top Gun. Um, and so uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Sir Bluebert goes on to say, more personally, though, I would absolutely love any dumb anecdotes from other YouTube goofball hosts, not naming names, about when the song might have changed meaning uh, in their mind during a, a personal university career. And yeah, I recognize you all both are relatively young in the era of modern germ theory, epoch food handling, and relatively naive in the scheme of things because making food is complicated. Maybe you two still only think about the volleyball scene and a certain goose. But if you do, um, uh, you'd be a member of the general populace like myself and the rest of the world. Understood. Blah, blah, blah. Paraphrase anything outside of these brackets freely. And duh, according to the radio button, I, cl- I-, I clicked even these words. Um, but honest, I'd get a smile out of either of you taking a moment to uh, that the term danger zone suddenly meant something different. You dig, sir, blue fart. Um, awesome. Yeah, and all I have to add is that um, this immediate, immediately made me think of um, the, the famous uh, duet uh, that uh, Kenny Loggins uh, did with uh, Dolly Parton uh, entitled Islands in the Stream. And when I Googled it, um, I realized that it wasn't Kenny Loggins. It was Kenny <laughs> Rogers. Um, and the reason why I think of that is that it has been suggested that, uh, that, that at karaoke that Linda Harris and I do uh, Islands in the Stream um, as our karaoke song. Uh, and, that's, and, that's, and that's not going to happen. Um, but that was the first thought that came to my mind. <laughs> uh, and you would be playing the part of Kenny Loggins. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll sing his part of the song. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right. So I think that the, at the heart of this, uh, this question is when did the danger zone or how did the danger zone turn from just a fantastic, uh, song from, uh, road trips, uh, to something related to food safety. And I, I honestly don't know. Like I, 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 the, you know, we talk about the quote danger zone, or as it's seen in many food safety uh, places, TDZ, um, like like the Ohio State University. Um, I you know my guess is that this was coined back in the mid 1990s um, as part of the Partnership for Food Safety Education's um, messaging, but I don't know that for sure. Um, I, I guess that I probably became familiar with it when I was in graduate school. And I was doing some consulting work for um, a group in Canada um, that was writing um, uh, food handler and food manager training programs. And um, they, uh, they they created this, uh, you know, similar to um, – to serve safe, uh, this uh, a, a program called Advanced FST and Basic FST for um, food safety training, um, and the company is called Train Can. And I used to do some some work for them, and they used to run a conference every year um, in Canada. But that was probably the first time I was introduced it, and then I. You know, someone or sometime it definitely came up in a food safety training, but I can't remember the exact point. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's a very, very good question. Um, uh, I will, um, uh, because I, so I was teaching uh, undergraduate food micro um, for a couple of lectures, and uh, one of the things that's featured in the textbook by Tom Montville, Carl Matthews, and uh, Callie Neal um, is uh, a link to a graphic that appeared in uh, Food Safety Magazine, and it's an article written by Frank Bryan in 2004 uh, entitled The Danger Zone Reevaluated. And so, oh, what, such, what, such a great article. Yeah. Sorry, I needed to interrupt you there because I love this this article. Well, and my only thought was maybe because Frank is a longtime food safety guy, if anywhere has a, perhaps a link to the original definition or the first time it was used, um, maybe it's Frank, right? And of course, he's got this wonderful uh, two-dimensional time temperature, um, you know, revised danger zone uh, graph, which is which is cr- pretty cool. Um, but, but I, I, you know, again, that's the only reason I mention it is, uh, is the, you know, the original, uh, maybe it has a citation to the original danger zone. So, well, okay, yeah, so here we go. Um, so we'll read from the food... Uh, uh, a food Safety Magazine article, historically the danger zone was not mentioned in the 52 edition of Sanitary Food Service, um, um, but it was stated as 60 degrees C to 7.2 degrees C in the 1969 revision of the guide. Okay, so, so, the, so the answer is the, the danger zone term arose uh, sometime between 52 and 69. Oh, well, there we go. I was about to uh, write an email to a uh, friend of the podcast and sometimes listener Carl, Carl Custer, Custer. <laughs> and because and I, I my guess was before this podcast was done he would have told us the the history of it exactly um, and I may still ask that yep um, so yeah uh, well there you go that's that's really interesting so wait hang on a second go back the. It was in ni- say that again, nineteen fifty-two. The, 19- the fifty, the fifty-two edition of Sanitary Food Service, the okay. Public Health Services Guide for Food Service Personnel Training. It was not mentioned, but it was mentioned in the nineteen sixty-nine revision of the guide. Okay, and that original that original danger zone was forty one forty to forty-five Fahrenheit. Huh. Interesting, and then of course it it's, it changes as the top and the bottom of that scale change, right? I mean, the hot holding limit now in the food code I think is one thirty five, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I uh, I was te- the workshop that I did this morning was uh, for a program that um, one of my colleagues has designed um, here in in North Carolina that focuses on volunteers that are working with food in extension in North Carolina. And so the program is a, a, a extension master food volunteers. And um, I, there's a, a, a small food safety section um, in this, in this program. And we we're uh, talking about the difference between the numbers and, and I'm getting more comfortable in explaining my, my, my take on, you know how the the top end and the bottom end of that that danger zone threshold change, and and at my you know current comfort level is with the um, FDA um, you know science based version of forty one to one thirty five and um, and actually mention that article that Frank Bryan um, article uh, briefly um, that where it's even that it's not it's not as simple as everything's the same in, in between, you know, in between those two, uh, thresholds. But, 
Um, you know, the, the USDA using 40 and 140 uh, because it's you know maybe simpler, easy to remember, but not science based, and and that it's you know it's okay, it's okay to not agree I, as long as I can justify why I go with the one I do. And that's the one we are teaching our volunteers on. Um, so they know the, the reasons, uh, but, but, you know, behind these, uh, behind these temperatures, um, as well. But yeah, this, uh, but I, I do want to point out to, um, Sir Zubluford, um, that, uh, it, today, uh, it didn't come out at all. Uh, I didn't, I, the, the lyrics to the danger zone, did not come up. <laughs> I kind of wish they had. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> so we got some more feedback. Yeah, we have some follow-up emails from um, uh, uh, from Doctor uh, Bluebert um, because <laughs> apparently uh, there uh, the way his uh, his brain works uh, is that there are uh, he just has a, a bunch of different ideas and they sort of all tumble out. So so we can do that. Um, uh, there is, uh, there's some very quick feedback from, um, uh, from Scott is loud. Um, uh, he says, I come for the banter. I stay for the food safety. It helps to think, uh, I exist somewhere in that sweet, sweet overlapping region of the Venn diagram of your respective interests. Uh, keep on rocking in the free world dudes. Um, uh, Scott, uh, law heed or low heed, take your pick, uh, low heed. <laughs> 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 uh, the uh, the amazing uh, Scott is loud on on Twitter. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, so and then I, yeah. I well I want to speaking of uh, speaking of Scott, um, I I want to talk about um, Plato. Oh, let's talk about Plato. So this this uh, came across uh, my desk not long after the last podcast, um, but it. Uh, it, it has continued to unroll uh, both um, on Twitter and in email conversations. And so basically, and I have to thank uh, Scott for, for looping me in. So Scott was contacted by a person who said, um, how can I safely make homemade? So I, I found your name associated with this news report, um, which is uh, the uh, CTV News. Um, uh, let's see. What's that? The uh, Anyway, some Canadian <laughs> um, news article. Article, uh, Bakers Beware, How E. coli and flour can make you sick. And the person writes and says, I found your name in the news report. I hope you can help out a mom in Victoria, BC. Uh, that's in Canada, folks. Um, how can I safely make homemade Play-Doh for my daughter and her classmates? Is there a reliable way to pasteurize wheat flour at home? What method? What temperature? How long? What's the risk with other flours like uh, rice flour or cornstarch? Are there reports for children being sickened with Play-Doh, the kind expressly meant for play, not for consumption? Thanks so much for your thoughts and time. And, and there was a long uh, back and forth email um, uh, f- with me and Scott chiming in. Uh, I looped in um, uh, my, a colleague from the flower industry to ask, did he know anything about uh, the commercial product, the Hasbro commercial product Play-Doh, and how they, uh, how they might might uh, manage risk, and we'll link to uh, we'll link to the Wikipedia article on on Plato. Um, my my flower industry colleague pointed out that um, if you read, you can read the Wikipedia article, but then there's also a patent for Plato. And if you read the patent, it seems like they are using 
wheat starch, not wheat flour. And wheat huh. starch is a more highly refined product. And so perhaps um, that product is a is a different risk because it's more highly refined. But then the other thing uh, that, that comes out through through all of this is um, if you look at the ingredients in Play-Doh, uh, salt is a big component. And in fact, there's even a warning to say... Don't let pets eat Play-Doh because it has such a high salt content, it may affect them adversely. And then in subsequent emails with the person um, who originally contacted Scott, um, uh, I said, hey, look, you know, I don't have any... um, people to work on this project right now, but this is kind of interesting from a food safety perspective. Can you send me lists of the recipes out there for people making uh, Play-Doh, you know, homemade Play-Doh to play with at home? And she did. And I looked at all of those recipes. And again, I haven't done a quantitative analysis, but all of them feature what seemed to me to be a relatively large amount of salt, which I suspect is there. It may be there for some functional properties, but I suspect it's also there as a preservative because if you this if you keep this stuff around and let kids play with it, independent of food safety and E. coli risk, I think that there's got to be um, a rather significant mold uh, mold risk. And so the way to control mold is to lower the water activity, and a really good way to lower the water activity is to is to load it up with salt. So. That's so. I've been again. This has sort of been evolving in an email conversation. There's a there's a bit of a Twitter conversation, which if I can find it, we'll link to it. What do you have any thoughts on on this whole topic? Um, no, I mean I think it's really fascinating to just to hear their response of yeah, we we tested for E. coli and there's never oh, been a problem. Right. Yeah. That's the that's the <laughs> other thing. That's yeah. the other thing is that that uh, I contacted uh, Play-Doh and I think this person did as well, the Play-Doh company, Hasbro, and the response from from Hasbro was we test for. Um, e dash e dash coli. Um, so right away, I've lost. Uh, I've, I've lost. Um, you know, any any idea that they actually understand what they're talking about. Um, and uh, we, you know, whatever. So we we test as a safety measure, which I can understand. Like a normal person, that would satisfy them. Um, but it, but me, it just immediately says, oh well, you clearly don't know what you're talking about then, because because really, what you want to do is you want a HACCP approach and you want to control uh, this risk with uh, process control, not not with uh, not with uh, testing. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I also got really interested in this, in this conversation, um, back when, um, uh, the outbreak from a gold medal outbreak that happened and talked a little bit about this new concept that, that I've still not seen in, in practice, but of, um, going to, uh, Mexican and or pizza restaurants and having, just dough plop mm-hmm. down, either tortilla dough or or pizza crust dough plop down on the table and using that as kind of like Play-Doh uh, for kids. And so when I was doing a bunch of media during that that outbreak, I started thinking about like making dough at home and what you know what's the best way to to do it and it and essentially arrived at um wash your hands after handling dough. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I, that, that there probably isn't a really good way to reduce or control the risk in the home. If that flour comes in, um, contaminated with the type of, um, recipes that are available. Cause I, I mean this, when, when I look at, um, I didn't, you know, go and, and follow up on the patent, but looking at, um, the homemade play- Play-Doh flour, water, and salt, 
are right. the usuals. Right. Having boric acid and mineral oil yep. is, you know, it probably also affects um, survivability survivability of uh, of pathogenic E. coli um, as well. Um, you know, de- depending on how much and what the ratios are and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I I just don't have a great. I don't. I mean, I really don't have a great answer other than I, you know, treat it, treat it like it's maybe contaminated and wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, ultimately, that's it, right? And 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 yeah, and I, you know, I think it would be interesting to to figure out what the survivability of E. coli is in flour. Um, uh, obviously, it does survive, but I'm I'm also just kind of interested to see how does it survive in these uh, in these these Play-Doh products. Um, yeah, you know. Um, and so, I, and I, I've gone as far as. Uh, Making a note, uh, if we have uh, people working in the lab this summer, um, this might be, and obviously not not with pathogenic E. coli, but we could take uh, Enterobacter, you know, our, our handy surrogate that we use for for all of these kind of things, and just do some preliminary exploration, like make some different make some different doughs. So we have because of some work we're doing on bacterial survival on surfaces and on fruits and vegetables, we have uh, different, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, chambers, um, you know, um, bah, the things where you water activity, um, uh, right. Uh, desiccators, desiccators, desiccators. That's what they're called. Uh, desiccators with different, uh, water activity, saturated salt solutions in the bottom of them. And so do some experiments where we, we store dough at different RHs, um, at room temperature, because that's how you're probably going to store it. And then look and see what happens to the, you know, the, the native microbiology as well as uh, any, any surrogate organisms we want to throw in there. So yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, seems like, uh, it would be worth, um, yeah, worth, worth well, thinking about. And then, and then my, you know, what I could do is let's uh, bring people into a kitchen and ask them to make Play-Doh and find out how they actually do it and say, here's a yeah. recipe. What, what is it? What do you do with it all? Where does, where does your flour go? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if uh, anybody's interested in this, uh, I think we could put something together. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, cool, cool. That's yeah. It was good. I really, I, I kind of you loop me in on on one of these emails um, as a like FYI. So um, yeah. yeah, good, good stuff. Thanks, thanks to Scott uh, Lock, Lockheed Lowheed for this. <laughs> I believe Lockheed is not one of the allowed pronunciations. I know it's, it's yeah, it's <laughs> it's my favorite. Uh, okay. Uh, um. So. Uh, where did you put this? Because it's awesome. Uh, your title in our notes file is WFT. Oh, is that's a typo. I'm, yeah, just, I'm dyslexic. Kratom, but I think you mean WTF is yes, Kratom. Yes, that's what I mean. Uh, and why does it have a whole bunch of salmonella in it? Um, yeah, so, so let's talk about this. Yeah, really. Um, so yesterday morning um, – I found out about this this uh, outbreak because um, uh, Rachel Retner from Live Science emailed me, and Rachel and I talk uh, quite a bit um, when there's some sort of a uh, outbreak going on. And she said, "Hey, um, let me let me find her." Uh, uh, exact wording. Hey, uh, just wondering if you'd comment on another article I'm writing. The article is on the news that CDC has announced 
a new salmonella outbreak tied to Kratom. Uh, what I'd like to ask is, is it unusual for a salmonella outbreak to be tied to a supplement? How might salmonella get into Kratom? And would an investigation of the source of salmonella in this case be more complex than for a single food item since there might be many ingredients in the supplement pill? Uh, great. I mean, great questions. And so I came out this cold. I hadn't even seen the announcement. CDC put it out like 40 minutes before she emailed me. Um, and I was uh, not paying attention to news or anything. So um, we'll link to the uh, CDC um, uh, outbreak um, investigation, but it's a, a multi-state outbreak of Salmonella I-4512B, um, and it's um, – uh, linked to a, a a supplement and this kratome that's I believe that's the way that it it is um, linked it is you know pronounced um, it was in the news earlier this uh, this month or late in January because FDA is looking at it as a um, as a, basically an, an opioid um, issue so it's a supplement that is a stimulant and it's used as an opioid substitute but there have been some um, s- some issues related to uh, deaths uh, from from overdosing and so um, uh, we'll link to this uh, link but for in 2016 in MMWR, um, it was a, a notes from the field. I'll read from that. Um, uh, the National Institute of Drug Abuse has identified kratom as an emerging drug of abuse. Published case reports of associated kratom exposure with psychosis, seizures, and death. Because deaths have been attributed kratom kratom in the um, uh, in the United States, some jurisdictions have passed or are considering legislation to make kratom use a felony. Uh, so. It, I mean, we're we're looking at um, poison center exposures. Uh, in, in this MMWR, went up uh, above 250 cases in in 2015. So, what what is it? Well, it's a stimulant that um, that people will will take as an as a um, opioid supplement that is um, you know maybe being uh, abused um, and has uh, some uh, ad- you know, addictive uh, properties and um, and also turns out uh, might have some salmonella in it or and so um, uh, so I I mean I answered Rachel's questions by saying she asked is it does it surprise me that it'd be in a supplement I said nope not at all uh, <laughs> that's the correct answer. Yeah. Um, in fact, a couple of years ago, there was uh, another outbreak of salmonella in a meal replacement protein powder supplement um, for salmonella. And Don, we love us some low moisture foods, some low water activity uh, foods uh, and salmonella on this podcast. Um, and, and every time I think about low moisture foods, I think about our good friend and colleague, Linda Harris. Um, who introduced me to this world. I didn't, uh, I can't remember when I first thought about danger zone and Kenny Loggins and a food safety concept, but I can tell you the first time I thought about low moisture foods as uh, a vehicle for foodborne illness. And it was when, um, Linda, uh, came to talk to, um, uh, gave a couple of talks uh, um, at the University of Guelph back in the mid 2000s on um, salmonella and almonds, and I was I was in, enthralled by it. So I know I know that one. Um, 
but yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. How might the salmonella get there? I uh, told Rachel that it, um, you know, Kratom's a plant. Um, and so definitely in production, there could be contamination and in the processing, uh, of it, you know, drying in that environment and in the grinding environment, it wouldn't surprise me in any of those places that, uh, salmonella could be introduced. And, uh, uh, her last question of, is this a kind of complicated, uh, outbreak? I said, well, that's a better question for the epidemiologists, but my guess is, yeah, probably, um, especially looking at the, um, outbreak curve and I'm giving that a very, uh, general, um, assessment. It's really just an outbreak line. Yeah. It's what we would call in, in, in modeling, we call that a uniform, essentially uniform distribution. It's one, one to two cases, um, spread over uh, a fairly long period of time. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, uh, going back to, um, October 13th, 2017, all the way through to February 2nd, uh, looks like was the most, or February 1st, maybe the most recent, uh, illness, um, reported, uh, but we're still in the uh, window of uncertainty and I'm, I'm coining that. I don't know if that's what it's really called, but, uh, people that might've been exposed to the, to the pathogen still might be in the reportable databases, um, uh, you know, stuff, stuff from after the 2nd of February still isn't, you know, could, could end up in that, um, you know, even back to early January could end up in this case count. So, yeah. Right. So well, and, and I, I would also say one of the things that, um, that is on the same CDC page where you can see that outbreak uh, curve um, is that there has not been a recall, right? And so right. Th- th- this is going to continue until either this, this contaminated batch um, moves through the system or we identify exactly um, you know, where, what's the, what the name brands for the batch or name brands, right. Uh, would be, and, and we, it gets taken off the market. So either the product moves through the system or it gets removed because we eventually can pinpoint it. So, um, yeah, this is, this is going to continue. Right. And, and it doesn't mean that it couldn't happen again. And just a couple, couple more points. Um, the, um, uh, uh, will, and we'll link to all of the things that you mentioned, um, including that notes from the field, um, regarding poison centers. Um, I just want to read briefly from, from Wikipedia because that's the thing that we do on the podcast. Um, the, uh, this particular microorganism, um, Mitragyna speciosa, um, is a tropical evergreen in the coffee family native to Southeast Asia. So again, probably not surprising, uh, that it has a stimula- stimulatory effect. I think the opioid, uh, kind of effects is, is interesting, right? So usually we have things that are stimulates stimulants or they're opioids, but this is something that has a little bit of both, um, um, and this this seems like some kind of nasty uh, nasty stuff here. I mean, you know, just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's uh, it's safe. So, um, and you know, be, buyer beware with supplements because you don't even know like if what's on the label is actually what you're getting. Um, and then the other thing uh, that I want to say is, and this is another thing that we'll link to, um, the uh, FDA has recently updated its spice risk profile um, with over 7,000 samples analyzed. And I would put, even though regulatory-wise, the spices are not supplements, uh, I would say anything that you can glean from looking at that FDA-updated spice risk profile, uh, you can also apply 
to supplements. These are uh, typically sourced from the same regions of the world. They're typically handled in the same sanitary or lack of sanitary manner, um, and they're dried. Um, so again, I would put them into the same basic uh, basic risk bucket. And then, and then the other thing that I want to say, uh, just as a way of of promotion and a shout out to to our friend and colleague, um, the upcoming New Jersey Association for Food Protection meeting in May will fe- feature an IAFP speaker. Um, uh, and that would be the our current IAFP president, uh, Dr. Mickey Parrish from the Food and Drug Administration. And he's going to be talking about, guess what, salmonella and spices. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Uh, we asked him and picked that topic uh, before we even knew um, uh, that we would have uh, th- this updated spice risk profile. But I, it's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So I guess my, my bottom line is beware of dietary supplements um, and realize that they're probably just as risky as any other dried um, uh, product that you can buy in a grocery store or in a health food store. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I I did a little digging yesterday on on Kratom and tried to figure out whether I could actually go buy it and (laughs) what what, what, like, where, how much it costs? Like, who's you? You know, where, where do you get it? And you can buy it online, lots of different spots. But I stumbled across something I just sent you in text yep. that will include in notes, which is as I found at Walmart, who has I think probably the best search engine op- optimization, <laughs> knew that someone wanted you know looking for some kratome online. Well, hey, here's a book, kratome, everything you need to know to harness the power of this potent plant. And, and it said uh, the tagline at the bottom is get ahead, get ahead, get ahead. Also, Don, don't read the comments or do read the comments <laughs> or the ratings. So this one has a customer view one, one star out of five. <laughs> Why? Well, Chrissy2798, who's a verified purchaser, said in 2016, I thought I was ordering the actual Kratome. It's a book. Who would pay for this? You can learn all you need to know free online. So. There you go. Maybe it's a good book, maybe not. Uh, but uh, don't order that book thinking you're actually going to get uh, the supplements. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, Chrissy2798, uh, if you're a listener, um, you probably you probably should uh, maybe read that book and, and maybe uh, read, read everything um, a little more carefully before you order it. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to get some Kraken Kratom, Kraken Kratom, uh, uh, you can buy. This is the one that I found. You can get. They had the most uh, different amounts of this product. Um, they've got Bali Kratom powder. They've got Mang De Thai uh, Kratom powder. Um, you can get the Leaf White Vein. I mean, we're talking <laughs> high end Super Indo. Um, this sounds like this sounds like weed. It does. See, that was exactly what I was. Yeah. Uh, what what I was thinking, and uh, they also sell a, a book, which is not uh, Get Ahead, but it is Kratom, a product of use, not a product of abuse. Book. So that sounds like a, you know, um, try hugs, not drugs. Well, and and I would also say be very careful because uh, that book costs forty nine dollars. So um, don't buy that book thinking that you're getting uh, powder uh, because yeah. it's not. Well, you can get uh, uh, 28 grams of super green Malaysian Kratom powder for $9.99. And this oh, is, be I, careful out there, kids. You get, Don, I just want to let you know, this is 
got you'll earn one point for this product, which is great in your uh, Kraken Kratom uh, <laughs> uh, you, um, user benefit rewards card. Uh, this thing's had 357 ratings, and it's a five, four and a half stars. Uh, I want to point out here: all of our products are tested for identification, metal content arsenic, cadmium, lead, mercury, and biological safety. And here's what they look for. Aerobic plate count, yeast and mold, coliforms, E. coli, salmonella, and staphylococcus. That's good, I guess. I Thanks yep. for doing that. Um, yep. You know, I guess if you're going to buy Kratom, we can't endorse them. But um, this company seems like they are doing a pretty good job. But I, um, yeah, I don't know. Boy, somebody needs to go out and survey dietary supplements uh, for microorganisms. Um, oh, it's a, it's you know, a, it's a boy, it's a mess. Oh gosh, you know who we could get? I think excited about that is um, our friend, uh, our also friend on Twitter, uh, uh, Michael Bazzacco. Oh God, <laughs> that's like if we could just put those two worlds together, his head might explode. Yeah, I uh, he's uh, he's a very uh, yeah he's a very he has strong opinions about I things. Like it. Yeah. He does. He does. And uh, is a fashionista and also really likes hockey. Uh, so so um, uh, moving, moving on uh, uh, from, uh, from Kratom, uh, something I want to just talk about really briefly is uh, I mentioned this on a, on a previous uh, podcast, but um, I was on an episode of The Doctor's. Uh, which I didn't know what, what it really was before I was uh, on it, but it's a um, uh, a talk show, uh, nationally syndicated talk show. I think it it's an NBC show that's produced by uh, Dr. Phil, one of the more famous doctors in this world. Um, and I was talking about um, food safety, uh, but they really called me to talk about Vibrio in oysters. Um, after um, a, a woman in Texas died um, from eating, uh, li- likely eating Vibrio con- contaminated raw oysters, but also might have been swimming in Vibrio contaminated water because she had a lot of sores on her legs. Mm. Um, anyway, they wanted to know how common it is, and, and Vibrio's you know not pretty you know fairly common. I think it's like 80,000 cases a year in the U.S., and a lot of those are um, either you know infection, uh, wound wound Vibrio, uh, or um, or foodborne. Um, but then they wanted to talk about all the other foods that I. Uh, I avoid and, and don't eat. And so I talked about raw milk and I talked about, um, eating undercooked beef. And I talked about one that you and I differ on, um, a little bit, uh, in a, as a generalized category, which is raw sprouts. And the day that I did the interview was the day that the, um, uh, Jimmy John's, um, linked, uh, sprout, um, linked foodborne illness outbreak, uh, happened. So I thought it was really timely, but that was almost a month ago. Uh, and the episode aired yesterday. Cool. Well, well, congratulations, uh, on being a guest on the doctors. Um, I, you know, that's impressive. It's not quite as impressive as, as having a, a tweet liked by Tommy Vitor, but, oh my but it's, but yes. it's, but it's, it's okay, Ben. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> so Don, I we rub noses, uh, arms, not rub noses, <laughs> rub, rub elbows with uh, some of the, the more important people on the internet. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I don't really know. I really don't. I'm really. I, I understand why you why you hearted my my tweet. Um, I really don't understand why Tommy Vitor did, but I'm I am gonna I'm gonna own it, and I'm gonna be very happy about it. So yeah. So my my brush with uh, greatness, um, the amazing uh, Tommy Vitor from uh, Pod Save America. So awesome. So thanks, awesome. Tommy. I know you're a big fan, a big listener to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's listening, uh, you know, just trying to take elements from food safety talk, just like we uh, try to take the the elements that work from uh, Positive America. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, good, good. Happy to trade uh, yeah, podcast war stories. Hey, hey, speaking of the doctors, uh, do you have a link to that or not? I do. I do. I do. Yep, okay. I so will, send me a link. Uh, I couldn't find anything. I When I Google Vibrio, the doctor's Ben Chapman, um, I find a, a lot of links with your name, um, but but nothing. Uh, maybe I shouldn't Maybe I shouldn't link, put video, Vibrio in there, but uh, obviously the doctor's is probably also not not a good thing to name your show if you want people to find it on the internet. Right. Oh, interesting. So, so, yeah. so Benjamin Chapman uh, is a practicing internal medicine doctor in Charleston, uh, West Virginia. Did you know that? That's a different guy. That's not me. <laughs> Are you um, sure? <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Also, two two. Oh, there's not even that, any picture. Jeez, oh, man. Um, I they uh, they referred to me as Benjamin Champman, uh, not Chapman, uh, Chapman, uh, or Chapman. So, <laughs> Chat, yeah. Or chat man. Uh, and uh, they told me that I they had this little blurb on me and on their website that I was a creator of the barf blog, two words. And so I had to correct that in the barf blog post and said, I just happen to be a uh, host of the barf blog, blog collective. Um, right. So uh, we have we uh, yeah, there's some a uh, couple of couple of things out there. But it was um, the shot. It was really interesting um, trying to make this happen because. I did it. You know, the plan was to do this via Skype, but it happened. The day that we were taping was the day that we received four inches of snow and everything shut down, including the university. So I couldn't come to my office, which is where I was going to record this um, or you know do this Skype interview. So I had to do it at home. And um, you'll see in the video that my wife, my face is like washed out with light because of terrible lighting uh, because of my my office where we decided to tape this right as. You know, we set this up and and we're you know check everything looks good and then um, direct sunlight starts coming through my um, my my office window at the exact time that we're trying to um, to record it and so I put my blind down and it was so beaming light like that it even still washed me out so um, but you know those are those are only the things that you meant that you you notice when you're like hypersensitive, um, to it. And then as you know, 90 people email me and be like, what, what's up with the lighting? Well, and you know, and I think we're going to see more and more of this as experts like you and I do these kind of interviews on, on Skype. Um, and nothing. And then there's that very famous one that went viral where there was some guy being interviewed on CNN and then a, a little kid came into his bedroom, uh, where he was, where he was recording. And then his wife came in and grabbed the kid and it was, it was kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So best, best video of the year. Yeah. Well, what do you uh, what do you want what do you want to talk about? People are getting sick from chicken salad. Hundred hundred cases. Yeah, that's a big outbreak. Yeah. Um, I we know that uh, um, food handlers make chicken salad, uh, <laughs> and that um, 
it could be, uh, you know, who knows, who knows where this, uh, where it comes from. Could be undercooked chicken, could be food handlers. Um, a big, big outbreak though. hundred, hundred plus people. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if, um, it's big because it's really truly big or if it's big just because we're getting better at epidemiology and, and matching. I mean, that's something I always wonder is like how, how big would this have outbreak have been if it was the same size, but 10 years ago, you know? Right. Right, right, right. And yeah, or would we have would we have even found it? Right. Right. Um so where what else what else do you want to go? What well, do you, let's, what else do you want you want to talk about dog food? I do so want to talk I about did, dog food. I wasn't I mean I wasn't on an episode of the doctors, uh, but I did get interviewed by uh Zlati Meyer for USA Today to yeah. talk about uh salmonella and dog food. So um so basically um, we'll link to the USA Today article. Uh, the headline of the article is four dog food companies issue recall over salmonella fears. Um, I, um, uh, I was, um, uh, this was apparently a very urgent deadline. Um, and I was get, I got my annual checkup coming up. Uh, and so I was having my blood work done, uh, got the results back today. Everything's fine. So that's good. Um, good, but, good. but, but the person was texting me or emailing me saying, I need to talk with you. And I'm like, well, I, I'm getting, I'm waiting to get my blood drawn. I can't, I don't, I can't tell you when, I, when I'll be available, but I called her as soon as I got out. Um, and basically, uh, what, uh, what, um, uh, I what I we talked for a while, um, but but I did get off, off the point that even a single cell is enough to make uh, an animal or a human sick, which is which is good news. Um, that I could that I could get that information out there. Um, I don't know what I think that's all she used. Um, yeah, so salmonella is found in the intestinal tract of animals used to make pet food. If the pet food isn't cooked, the bacteria can survive, um, and then you know a single. Uh, cell can make you sick. That's that's the extent of the quote that I that, that she took from me. What I thought think is interesting is these are multiple cases, um, and then also I did a little bit of digging um, before I called her, and the, so pet food is regulated by the FDA, um, uh, and FDA does not allow salmonella even in pet food that is made from raw meat, right? And so. Which is different than, let's say, raw meat um, that's regulated by FSIS, um, right. where you which are allowed it. So, yeah. Huh. So I, you know, I don't know. The whole the whole thing is is quite interesting. I think that, and the other thing I want to say is that. Oh, here's this is this so so one of the people that they from a, the pet food company. Uh, has a quote in here that's really idiotic. Um, While cats and dogs' digestive systems are designed to be able to process pathogens such as salmonella with no impact on them at Darwin's, the name of the company, we take this situation very seriously. Well, that's nonsense, (laughs) right? Salmonella... The the strains that make people... The species that make people sick and make animals sick are different, but that's simply not true. That Their digestive systems are able to process salmonella. They may be better able to process or they may process them more effectively, but, but it's, it's just simply not true. As right, far right. as I know, I mean, I'm not a pet expert, but. Well, and it's not like we're really designing digestive systems, are we? <laughs> well, that, yes. Right. Like they may have the ability to, uh, to, and it process in the right word. I mean, they, they may, they're impacted by different pathogens. And they're not, yeah. It's uh, that's that's nonsense. Um, uh, yeah. Well, 
so there's so much going on in this area of pet food um, safety and you know numerous outbreaks linked to dry and wet pet food um, salmonella being um, you know the the one that we've we've talked about here but listeria has also been um, linked in in this um, uh, in, in this uh, arena CDC's got a, an entire you know page now that focuses on this that where they talk about um, you know current outbreaks and what people can do <clears throat> excuse me um and it's you know I, I you know the way that I manage my pet food in my in my home is still very much because of this like we do a lot of hand washing and if the dog um, is is dropping pet food all over the place. We're not dropping our food in that same area and, and eating it. And it, it's not a, a, you know, it's not a food that I, that I kind of take lightly. Yeah, I, I, me as well. Um, so, uh, I, I, we have, uh, dog treats that we give to the dogs. Uh, and I try to be very careful about washing. I'm probably, you know, I, I don't know what else, what other foods I handle. Um, cause again, Kristen does most of the cooking, but whenever I'm handling treats, um, I wash my hands, uh, when I scoop out the dry dog food, um, I use a scoop, um, and, and I do consider those things all, to all be contaminated. Um, you know, probably they're not, but, but I do think about them as being potentially contaminated. Um, so yeah, I mean, whether they're cooked or not, right. I mean, there, there are examples of, of pet food, um, that, that has been, theoretically processed, but that still is, you know, post-process contaminated with salmonella and see our earlier conversations about salmonella survival under dry conditions, et cetera. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it also becomes a, an issue, I think with, um, when it comes to children, you know, it's something that I've, that I've got, um, in, in my home where my kids, it, one of the tasks that, that I have them do is scoop out, um, food, we, we get a big bag of dog food and we put it into, um, a, a container that's for pet food that has a screw top lid. So the dog, first of all, doesn't go in and just chew the bag up. And then secondly, so we don't have mice and stuff that are eating, um, our, our pet food. Um, because at one point when we did just leave our bag, uh, open, um, one morning Danny scooped out, um, a scoop of food and there was a tail, uh, that was also hanging out, uh, in that scoop from a, a tiny little field mouse. Um, Ew. So, yeah. Uh, so since then we're like, also, oh. also a source of salmonella, <laughs> also a source of salmonella. Yeah. Um, but you know, so it's some, it's one of the things that, that, you know, when we agreed to get a dog and, um, we kind of put our kids to, to work and said, okay, there's going to be times, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all pitch in at, at getting the dog food. It's not like we're all going to have this chore, but some days, when I get up and I'm making your lunch, go ahead and you you scoop out the dog food and, and then go wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's you know it's it's one of the things that I pay I pay more attention to, um, and it's I mean it's outbreak after outbreak, right? Like we've had, I think like 2009 there was an outbreak, 2012 there was a big outbreak um, associated with dry dog food. Um, uh, you know it's. Uh, most of the people had contact with the dog as well. Um, and the other thing that we haven't talked about is, um, there are individuals who use dog food as a protein source in emergency food situations. I mean, hunger, 
Um, and food access is such an issue for us, um, not just in the U.S., but but all throughout the world, that um, there there are lots of lots of cases out there, lots of people who are using this food as a ready-to-eat um, protein source, which is um, which is a terrible situation um, to be in. But all, all the more reason to be concerned about um, uh, about pathogen, pathogen contamination in in this food. So. Yeah, and you know, I'm just again reading this USA Today article. Um, there's there's four different companies who've issued recalls. No apparent link between those companies, but the one company, the the one that I read from before, where the guy was quoted, um, that particular company has issued four Salmonella or Listeria monocytogenes related recalls since October 2016. I mean. I think they got a problem. I think they got a problem, right? I mean, and this is this is a company that sells uh, raw food, right? It's it's raw meat, um, which you know that that's that's what they're selling, and that's risky. And obviously, whatever they're doing to control risk is not working. So, yeah, I would say stay stay away from that company, right? So, yeah. Do you think? I just want to go back to the FDA having a zero tolerance policy for salmonella. Yeah. Do you think that that's there because it's essentially a ready-to-eat food? Like, right? Like, there's, I, I get the raw. It's raw, but it's being used as a ready-to-eat food on purpose. It's being marketed that way, right? Like, if if someone was marketing raw chicken as a ready-to-eat food, um, it, 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 maybe we would have a different take on it. But there's never going like this raw dog food. It's not like you're going to open up that tube and then fry it up. It is it's there to be consumed raw. So it's it's naturally occurring. But but as soon as you put your stamp on it as not you're not doing anything to control it, then then, you know, FDA applies a um, this this zero tolerance. Let's add, like I know there's at least two or three people, FDA folks that listen to this. Hopefully, someone can email us on on if we if if my guess is correct on that. Yeah. So so this is this is weird. So there is. Uh, so we'll link to we'll link to the outbreak article on FDA's website from February 13th, 2018. FDA investigates patterns of consumption. Uh, blah blah blah. But if you go to that article um, and you you scroll down to where it quotes that FDA has a zero tolerance. Policy. You can click the link. That link goes to a wayback dot archive slash dash it dot org website, right? Which is the which is the Internet Archive website to an FDA page, which says to me that the actual FDA page is gone. Yeah, right. So, so FDA doesn't have its own page, but they link to an archive version of the page. Which is bizarre. Okay, first of all, that's just bizarre. But in that page, uh, it, the the headline, and we'll we'll put this in show notes. Uh, it says FDA issues compliance policy guideline for salmonella in food for animals. And remember, this is all this is not FDA SIFSAN, right? This is FDA CVM, right? Veterinary medicine, because that's yep, the, yep. The, the pet food people. And in in that article, it has the the fourth paragraph. It says, FDA maintains a zero tolerance policy for salmonella in pet food because it can pose risk to human health when people who are at risk, children, the elderly, and individuals with with compromised immune systems come into direct contact with contaminated pet food. So that's that's the explanation for their policy. Mm. It seems Uh, like... According to this article, which is no longer on FDA's website. (laughs) 
Yeah, oh, that's weird because it. I mean, it, with that rationale, it, it just let's uh, replace pet food with raw chicken, and that statement's still still true, right? Yes, but yes, but People FDA does not regulate raw chicken, Ben. Right, right. No, I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> I know you get um, that. Yeah, or I mean, let's let's also. Um, well, and never, never, I was going to say, let's replace raw seafood with it. But I guess uh, FDA also has a zero tolerance for salmonella and raw seafood, right? I don't know. what I don't know what their policy is on that. I don't, I don't know. Okay, some FDA people help us. That's that's really the message here. Um, you listen, as you listen, there's no government shutdown, so you're not just doing this as part of your hobby. Uh, just send us something uh, over the, you know, the back channels. Um the uh, untappable um, phone lines, however you want to get us a message, and we'll uh, let us know. Let us know what this is all about. Yeah, I, I think I don't know. I, I don't think there's a zero tolerance for for salmonella in in um, raw fish. I don't think so either. I mean, we've had recalls. Yeah. Uh, well, and we have we have this this you know tuna uh, sushi back scrape. Right. You know. That, yeah, and that's, that's what I. It's, and that's a you know a recall, but I, I don't think it's illegal. Oh, well, there you go. Well, Don, I have a, I have a hard out at one thirty. Well, I, I think we can we can declare this a show. I think we can. I, I would like to – I want to talk to you more. I'm going to talk to you more, not this weekend, but next weekend when we see each other in lovely, dusty uh, Las Vegas. Vegas, yep. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. <laughs> That's what I said. So Michelle, Michelle J. Russell, who I, I think does not listen to the podcast, um, she might. Hi, Michelle, if you are listening. Um, uh, she posted on her Facebook she was going there for some uh, aquaculture meeting. And, and I put Vegas, baby, and, uh, as a reply to her on, on Facebook. And she's like, I won't be gambling. It's like, well, I know. But I was just like, that's yeah. what you say, man. And you, you right. just, and you supported. You supported. I, I feel like empowered by your by your your mentioning it to me that like that was the appropriate response on Facebook book was Vegas baby. Yeah. Yeah. Totally the appropriate response. Um, do you, so before we leave, do you, um, I, I don't know if this is what originated that term, but the, the movie swingers, are you familiar with this movie? Uh, Vince Vaughn and John Favreau, not, not, not John Favreau, <laughs> not the other John different Favreau. John Favreau. <laughs> I, I am vaguely familiar with this movie. Um, that's uh, Vegas baby. It's uh, Vince Vaughn says it. We're going to Vegas, baby, Vegas. Uh, so as I go to, I've never been to Vegas this next weekend. Really? Nope. Never, never once is the first meeting first. I've never been there for vacation. Um, so Vegas, baby, I'm going to watch swingers on the plane on the way there. Nice. Just so I get it right. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a show. Uh, Don, um, thanks for, uh, Thanks for all you do. I don't know why I made this a, <laughs> a very, it's a very special episode of Food Safety Talk. Oh, uh, no, uh, it's, a, it's a show. So uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Vegas. Yeah, so I found a, I found a, an image uh, which basically has uh, uh, some guys in a car, and it says Vegas Baby across the top, and one guy's like standing up in the car, and he's got a beard and That's uh, glasses. It. That's the movie? Okay. That's the movie. It's a great movie. It's, it stands up quite well. I watched it a, about a year ago. Okay. I really, I really like it. Um, cool. So this one is yours. It is. Um, and so what was I going to ask? Oh yeah. So when, when should we do this? Uh, when should we do this again? Yes. Uh, two weeks from today is March 7th. I'm wide open. You see, I am, uh, it's undetermined. No, I can't. I'm flying back from Vegas, baby. Um, I'm there all day Tuesday as well. Cause Donna asked me, they're doing some, um, some talk on consumer handling. So I'm there Monday for the, um, the scientific advisory council. And then they're Tuesday and I don't fly back until Wednesday. Cool. I mean, not cool, but I mean, cool. Yeah. You know, uh, okay. Um, what about, what about the ninth Friday, the ninth Fridays aren't good. Fridays are not good for me. The eighth is, uh, is I'm also wide open. I mean, I got to go to DC for a talk. What about the 12th? Let's or the second, that's no, another Friday. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, keep throwing Fridays. March, here. March 12th. I'm teaching at a better process control school all day. Oh, wrong, wrong. Damn. Um, but we could do, uh, I could do, mm, no, I can't shit. Um, oops. Don't curse on the podcast. Um, right. let's uh, let, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to wait that long. Let's do, let's do the second. I, that'd be, so what, is it possible for you to do the second in the morning? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm free. I have a heart out at one, okay. but other than that, you pick any time before 1am or <laughs> before 1pm. Yeah. Or so, 1 a.m. Uh, this is 1:47. Uh, let's let's say um, let's say 9 to 11. Yeah. Because I've got um, I've got a faculty meeting that afternoon, and that means I got to move my meeting with my students. Um, but I can meet with them at 11. Okay. Cool. Um, thank you for that. The next couple of weeks are crazy. I'm in. I I have two like multi-day trips, which I don't, as I mentioned, I try not to do, mm-hmm. but I've got, I'm going, so I'm doing, I'm going to, um, I'm going to Atlanta next week for a IAFP RTI thing on, I think it's about like funding USDA's funding of food safety research. Are you going to this thing? I, I am going, I am going to be there as well. So I will see, I will see you in Atlanta, baby. <laughs> I will see you in Atlanta, baby. So I'm there. That's on Tuesday the 27th. Then on Wednesday the 28th, I'm speaking at the Georgia affiliate meeting, which is the oh, day after. Good, good, good planning. And then the day after that, um, I'm giving a talk at Coca-Cola internally. Nice. Yeah. So it's like uh, it all worked like those three. Those were three separate requests that all happen to be in three consecutive days, like not even planned in, in all in the same state. How, how does that happen, all, man? All in the same city. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. Like, so anyway, I'm, I'm there. And then the week after, um, I'm at Affy. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So, Sounds good. So, so anyway, we'll make, we'll make the second work. Yep. The second is on the calendar. Uh, and so this one's yours. Yep. 
and uh, that's that's it. All I, all I got, all I got for you. All right, hey, um, let's just in the interest of making this move along quickly. Um, yep. Uh, how how would you feel about? And we never do this, right? Um, but how would you feel about just calling the episode Vegas Baby? Vegas Baby, done. I mean, it's the, you know, I, I could listen to for some other stuff, but I, I really like that Vegas Baby, and then we already have the picture. Exactly. So just, yeah. Oh, great. Absolutely. All right. I'll, I will get this. I will get this edited and posted uh, ASAP. Okay. Awesome. All right. All right. We'll talk to you later, Don. All right. Bye bye.